So SAS Job Cafe started, and then, you know, we were using a small developer because I'm not a software engineer, neither is Dirk, but we had a friend who was, and he helped us out. And then that iteration of our software wasn't very good. And then we started SIMP.com, which was the second one we kind of started. And it was more for assisting with employer recruiting internationally so that we could post the job, post all the requirements of the job, and then have an intake form so people wanted to apply outside of Canada, they could find us real easily and figure it out. But because we used the acronym SINP, the Saskatchewan Immigrant Nominee Program did not like that. And that shut down and we had to close that website down and everything. We're like, hmm, where do we go now? Hey, everybody. What is going on? Welcome to the GMI Rocket Show. I'm your host, Roman Zelichenko, a former immigration lawyer and the founder of Laborless, immigration tech startup that automates H-1B visa compliance, and also the founder of GMI Rocket, which brings you the show and is a marketing agency for the immigration and global mobility space. Today is episode number 57 I'm in upstate New York, so I'm pretty close to the Canadian border, but we are going across the Canadian border to speak to Kelly Prop, who is the co-founder of a company called Immigrate. So Immigrate is an immigration company that provides immigration services and is effectively a software company at the same time. They have a really robust uh, technology solution on the back end that basically helps them automate and streamline and digitize a lot of the immigration applications that they uh, help with. So uh, it's something that we actually don't have in the U.S. here. We're not allowed to have a kind of legal firm uh, and a, a tech company at the same time sort of thing. So it's um, really cool that in Canada, there's so many different companies that are doing really cool stuff in immigration. So really excited to discuss and dive into what's happening more generally in Canada with regards to immigration, especially as borders start opening up. And then, of course, to talk to Kelly about her journey, her story, uh, and the story of Immigrate. So without further ado, Kelly, thank you so much for being here. And I'm super excited to talk to you and learn more about Immigrate. Yeah, thanks, Roman. It's a great pleasure to be here as well. Awesome. So, you know, this is going to be an interesting conversation because you are a co-founder of Immigrate. You're a co-founder with your husband, spouse, Dirk. And so we're going to kind of learn about you and your life and of course about Dirk and some of the work that he's done and then how the idea for Immigrate came to be. But I want to get jump in before, you know, Dirk enters the picture. You know, I want to learn about you and sort of what do you do? Where are you from? You know, kind of the your your background story and your kind of journey because it's there's obviously a converging of paths here that came about. But uh would love to kind of let dive in and and, and learn more about Kelly. Sure. So I, you know, I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, and like most kids in the 90s, Calgary was like a thriving city growing, like most Canadian cities through immigration. And so a lot of my friends were new immigrants to the city. And so one of the things I wanted to do as soon as I turned 18 was go and travel and just go and see the world. And so I was really lucky because I I went and did that. I got one of those online certificates that says teach English. 
Mm. You know, you take that course, you write the exam, it's like a hundred bucks or whatever it was. And off to China, I went to teach English. Wow. And I was like, holy crap, like what a difference, you know, just being in another part of the world was. And I mean, and then from China, I went to teach English in South Korea. And that's Dirk. It was actually his idea that got me on to teaching English because we actually met when I was, when I was really quite young. I was barely 18 when we met and he's like, I'm going to go teach English. I was like, me too. I'm going to do that too. He went to South Korea. I went to China. And then I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to go to South Korea too. And so I hopped over there and I started teaching, really teaching English a lot more. I was like, this is amazing. Just cultural diversity is really cool. And then because we're from Canada, a lot of Korean friends that I had made, they're like, well, can you help me figure out how to, how to get to Canada? And I was like, I don't know how to do that. Like buy a plane ticket. And I just kind of continued traveling, but I continued making friends with people where I went. I went to Mexico, saw what it was like there. And every time I traveled to another country, I encountered, you know, shady agents. They're like, we'll get you this visa. And then you pay the money. You don't get the visa. And then you've got to do it yourself, pay the money, and then you get the visa. And during this process of traveling, I decided I wanted to go back to university. So I got accepted into the U of S and um, Dirk and I moved to Saskatoon in Saskatchewan, which is a really small prairie, kind of a very typical Canadian city. It's centered around a university, lots of just lots of really brilliant people in the city. And I started going to university and I kind of forgot about, you know, all my experiences traveling with people and I studied science. And because the U of S focuses on science. And so it's like, I'm going to do this. And it was something I enjoyed, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't quite for me. I worked in, um, I ended up working for a large consulting company doing project management. So, you know, do this project, write this report, meet this deadline, do this project, write this report, meet this deadline. And after about six or seven years of, you know, hundreds of the same report, I was losing my mind. And at the same time, Dirk had, he actually remembered all of his, his experiences around, you know, immigration and people and how that was. So he decided, well, I'm going to uni to study science. He would start an immigration company and just help all these people that we had met who were like, can you help us? Hmm. How do you help us? How can we get to Canada? So he kind of started up this one person, one man immigration company where he, you know, while he was taking his course to become certified to legally work, he kind of just offered advice like, okay, you can pay me this much money to just get advice on, you know, what to do. And our focus was mostly on employers. So we did business consulting on how to help employers meet that shortfall. So he would help people. While he was, and and then, you know, you very you learned very quickly during immigration that it's shady. And I was always chatting with him, like, so how are you helping this person this time? Like, how are you helping that person? Like, what are you doing? I, I always stayed really interested in what he was doing. You know, he, he owned the, an immigration company. And when the first thing a lot of people do when they try and figure out something is they go to the internet. And so we didn't, He's like, well, 
why can't it just be a whole internet process? I'm like, well, you can do this and we can do this. And so we were always kind of throwing ideas at each other. And meanwhile, I'm getting more miserable and more miserable and more miserable in consulting. Just every day I hated my life just that little bit more. And I was so jealous. I'm seeing dirt going, building a company, building a company. And I'm getting in there. I'm helping them. Like I could do some content writing for you. I could help you research this. I could do this. I could just test this. And then one day I'm like, I hate my life in consulting. Can I hop on board? And he's like, absolutely. We need more help. So I just slowly just, I I saw him living the, the dream, so to speak. And I was like, I want the dream too. I know exactly how that feels because, you know, I watched other people start their own businesses and sort of, you know, work on their own, on their own projects, on their own ideas at their own pace and time. And just for me, that felt, and there, it has its own stress and we'll get to that, right? Because starting your own company is also not easy. It's not like it's a, it's, it's a walk in the park, but it's different. And for some people, that's the kind of stress that they thrive on for others. They'd like to go in and go to work and, you know, get the projects, finish it by a deadline. And then, you know, that's it. So that, that's so cool. I, I love to, you know, there's so much there, you know, from traveling and, you know, a, a side note there, the idea of so many people getting into the immigration and global mobility industry, even if they are not themselves immigrants or maybe like children of immigrants, but just by traveling and being exposed to people from all different parts of the world and then coming home and, and looking at immigrants differently and saying like, well, I was, I mean, I was visiting, but I came to your country and felt so out of place and I knew I was coming home in a year or a week or whatever. You moved here permanently, you know, that appreciation for people who just uproot their whole families and their lives and and sort of, you know, move around the world. But I'm curious, uh, just the kind of a a different note here, you know, now you're a co-founder and you and Dirk run this business together. When you were younger, do you think, did you ever have any sort of business people in your family or did you ever think of yourself as maybe I want to run a business or was that interesting, you know, entrepreneurial kind of uh, tendencies? Did you have any of that or were you kind of like, you know, school and maybe job and and just kind of the traditional path? I remember in high school going to the guidance council and they were talking about all these things you can do with your life. And they said, there's, you know, the typical path, get a university degree and get a proper professional job which in calgary you know we're really rich very rich city in the early 2000s it was just like limitless opportunity but you get that university degree you go get your executive job for an oil company consulting company type thing and then there was a little thing that said entrepreneurship and entrepreneurship programs i was like well that sounds cool but and they explained it to me a little. I was like, well, that sounds just really tough. And it's like, I don't know if I'm cut out for that. But it's like the idea, the word just stuck with me. I was like, ooh, entrepreneurship. Like, it's fancy, you know? And then I just thought, nah, well, I'll just carry on and do the path that they always tell you to do. Get good grades, go to uni, get a proper job. And I just yeah. kind of put it in the back of my mind. I never really considered it. I always just thought it was a cool thing to be. So, so let me ask you this then. I, I want to shift to maybe to Dirk's story maybe for, for a minute. I mean, you, you got you met when you were, you know, younger. So you're almost basically like high school sweethearts, you know, from what you know about Dirk, obviously from when he was younger, maybe before you guys met, was Dirk the kind of person who was always or, or who might be, you know, have lemonade stand or be selling baseball cards or something, you know, like a little bit more entrepreneurial? Because it sounds like he, he, 
through your travels, he saw that there was a need for the service and sort of went for it, right? Which takes a certain type of person to just do. Mm-hmm. I mean, he comes from a a very entrepreneurial type family on both sides, like his mother's side and his father's side. Like his grandfather had a grocery store when he was growing up and his great uncle started a, a meat, a harvest meats, a big processing meat plant here that's really famous in Saskatchewan and across Canada. And then his other grandparents, they started a fine dining restaurant and he has, you know, aunts and uncles who own businesses. So like, it's just kind of in, in their blood on both sides of his family. Like it's just like, okay, the best way to have a good life was be an entrepreneur in his family. Right. Wow. That's cool. You know, I'm always fascinated by that because I think even if someone isn't growing up, thinking that they want to own a business, just being around that, you know, it's sort of the way you think, you know, so you you see a problem. And if you're sort of a business minded person, you start just naturally thinking of solutions. How can I fix this problem? What can I Mm -hmm. do to offer this person help or support? I find that really fascinating, especially for folks when they're when they're younger. I'm curious for, I guess for the both of you, it sounded like Dirk and you both went to Trout to teach English in East Asia at the, around the same time. What uh, prompted you to to do that? I mean, you, you graduated, it sounds like you graduated high school, you know, got this teaching certification, then went, uh, which by the way is brilliant because I think too many people go right to college, myself included, and don't exactly know what they want to do. And this idea of traveling the world is and just finding yourself and having these new opportunities and experiences is super cool. So I'm curious, what drove you both, or maybe him first and then suggesting it to you, however it went, what drove that sort of decision to have that adventure? For him, I think it was a quick way to pay off debt. You know, you can make a lot of money quick, you can pay off a lot of credit card debt quick, you can have a really fun life quick. So they make it back in the early 2000s, they made teaching English, you know, I think it was called teachandtravel.ca was the, they had advertisements everywhere. And they're like, this is the cool, hip way to travel in Asia and get a job as a teacher, make a lot of money, have a lot of fun. And that was kind of, and, and, you know, he did this and he's like, Hey, I was like, well, this is really cool. That, that, that's all you can do. Like you just buy this piece of paper that says I'm an English teacher. I'm in. I'm so in. Like, how does this not sound fun? And so he, you know, I don't know if they went to if there was career fairs that they put this on at, but he found teach and travel. And then I was like, he's like, I'm gonna do it. I was like, well, I can do that too, you know. And so I was like, yeah, I'm gonna do it. That's awesome. What do you remember about that? I mean, you know, you're, I guess you, you grew up in Calgary at this point. Were you already living in, in Saskatoon or not yet? That was when you came back. Yeah, not yet. I had just, you know, Dirk and I met in Calgary. He's a couple years older than me. So I was, he was finishing university as I'm finishing high school. Mm-hmm. So we met, you know, right at kind of that end period. And so he's like, okay, I got uni debt. I want to pay for travel. And I was like, I don't want to go to uni. Right. So I was like, if I can make money and travel, I'm in. How is that a bad deal? Like, it just seemed like a win, win, win situation. What do you remember about kind of landing in China maybe for the first time? I mean, wow, I'm, I've never actually been to, I've been to South Korea, um, which I absolutely loved. Been to, to Japan a couple of times. 
you know, China's got a, its own separate immigration process and it's such a big country. I also just want to kind of, when I go, I want to go for a period of time and really explore. What do you remember about that moment of like landing, you know, the plane and just, yeah. So I landed and I thought, oh crap, what the heck did I get myself into? Because yeah. <laughs> I mean, I flew from, you know, Calgary and I landed in Hong Kong first and I spent about three or four days in Hong Kong before I ultimately went to Guangzhou, which is where I, I was teaching English. And it's only about a two hour train ride from Hong Kong to Guangzhou. But Hong Kong is like, oh yeah, this is really cool. Like it's, it reminds me of Vancouver. It's not a, it didn't seem like a big culture shock, right? Because mm-hmm. Hong Kong is just a very big, pretty metropolis. Kind of reminds me of a Canadian city just with more Chinese people. <laughs> and then I went to Guangzhou and then when I was in mainland China I was like okay what the heck this is not what the pictures on that brochure showed me teaching English was going to be like wow so was it a smaller what was it like can you do you remember so Guangzhou is actually a really big industrial city so they have a massive amount of manufacturing going on it's not one of those pretty rural Chinese cities that you kind of see in the movies. It's not like a big metropolis, like quite Beijing is. It's just, they manufacture a lot. So everything was, the pollution was really bad. The sky was brown. Everything was brown. Like you don't wear white. And I was really surprised. And I would, you know, honestly was inundated by the amount of people there were because growing up in Canada, like, you know, big cities in Canada are a million people. And this city, I think, had like 35 million people, wow. like the whole country, my whole country in one city, essentially. So it was pretty frightening. Also, you know, 18 year old girl not knowing, not being smart enough to do her research. I bring a book that's learn how to speak Mandarin to a city that speaks Cantonese. Mm. So here I am with my little book trying to speak Cantonese or speak Mandarin to everybody and they're looking at me like I'm crazy. And it was, it was a big wake up call for like how hard it is just to go from something, you know, to something you don't know. And I thought I did research too. So. Wow. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised that they didn't One for One thought that I had was, well, first of all, if there's going to be a lot of pollution, you probably should know that so that you can either say yes or no. I mean, what if you have, you know, whatever, but then also I would I would hope that they would prepare you a little bit better. Although I guess part of it is like you, you were got thrown in the deep end and all of a sudden you got to deal with stuff. And at the time it was probably stressful, but A, it's a fond memory now, hopefully. And then B, I'm sure you learned a lot about how to be resilient very quickly um, and how to sort of yes. you know, figure out problems very quickly on your own. Also, I I don't know how to say this in a way that might not sound arrogant, but... I learned the power of just being a Canadian Hmm. and not only being a Canadian, but being like, you know, a white female Canadian also, like there's a lot of power in that. And people see you in these countries and they're like, Oh my goodness. Like you have the dream. You're the dream that we are shown on TV. That's sparkly. Hmm. Right. Interesting. It's interesting. It's like I had something that people wanted and I just didn't, I was like, well, it's nothing to me because I didn't understand how lucky I truly was until I landed there. And that 
you know, although you can't fight what culture or race you're born with, but you can, you know, strive to understand things. And I was like, okay, I really, it's like, I would like to understand these people a little bit better That's and so understand fair. why they think I'm so much better than them just because I'm, no, I don't know if that's the right word, but ideal. Maybe I'm the ideal situation. It's like, why do you think that? Like, you're in China. This is the coolest place ever. Like, you know, to me, that's what I thought when I was there. And they're thinking the opposite. Yeah, that that's really, really interesting. And also a cool realization. I mean, at, you know, kind of a relatively young age, right? To realize the the privilege that I guess we you do have kind of living in North America and looking a certain way and being a certain way. It's cool too, because to your point, the grass is always greener in a way, you know, not always, but very often the grass is greener and you look at someone else and say, wait, but you live in this, in this, in this country and it's cool. And there's, you know, all this happening here and Canada's a sleepy little country. I mean, you know, you, you could think that way potentially, but at the same time, they might look at you and think, think a different way. So that's, that's really interesting. I remember when I was, I, I sort of, because I kind of have dark hair and, you know, if I grow my beard out, it's real, it's not too thick but it's relatively thick i blend in in a lot of different places like mediterranean Mm -hmm. like west uh western europe and some eastern europe so of course when i went to when i was in japan i was i stuck out like a sore thumb even even in a large city like tokyo or kyoto or something people just like stare at you and i remember i'll never forget this one kind of elderly uh woman skipped her train station and got off with us to walk us to another train just to I mean, we were like, no, no, please. You know, you, she's like, no, no, it's okay. Don't worry about it. She was like, I want to practice my English and I just want to make sure that you get to where you have to go. And, you know, I mean, I help people on the subway in New York City, but I would never get off and like help a person go to where they need to go. No way. I've got places to be. And this person was just like uh, taking the opportunity to talk to us in English. And that was to me kind of maybe a similar moment of realizing like, wow, we didn't even ask. And this person just, gave us so much of their time and attention. It's really interesting. And it does help you reflect on how people look at you and what it's like to be a stranger in a strange land in a way. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. Okay, cool. So I really happy we were able to dive into your kind of travels because I think travel really does shape us as people, especially folks working in the immigration industry. So I kind of want to fast forward a little bit uh, and talk about you know, you, you, you worked abroad, you worked across um, East Asia, you came back eventually, and then you said you went to university to study science. I think I read you studied toxicology, I guess, right? Is, so is that like for a pharmacy type of pre-pharmacy school? Or I'm just curious, what does one do with a toxicology diploma? So like toxicology is kind of, it's, the study of poison, essentially. So anything that poison can do to the human body, animal systems, or the environment. And so I wanted to, you know, seeing things as like, I'm going to make a difference. Because that's what young people want to do is they want to make a difference. And I thought I'm going to do it with toxicology. There's this new toxicology program opening up at the U of S. It's really cool. They guarantee you're going to get a job with toxicology when you're done. And you're going to love life. And I kind of bought into that whole thing. And I mean, science is great. And I really love science. And I loved learning how, you know, certain chemicals like polyhydro, 
aromatic hydrocarbons, like how these little pH chemicals, they start one place and they move across the globe and they somehow end up in the Arctic. And then they, you know, eventually pollute our glaciers and all this kind of stuff. It's like, yeah, this is, this is my jam. And then when you get into the job world, it's like, okay, what are you going to do? You, like you mentioned pharmacy, a lot of people in toxicology, they're like, well, maybe I should go into pharmacy because there's money. Or they go into research, you know, master's, PhD, or they work in laboratories doing lab tests, or they work like I ended up in consulting and they do mold assessments, asbestos assessments, industrial hygiene work, assessments for soil, just taking hundreds of soil samples, cramming it in a little jar, sending it to the lab, getting the results and, you know, sending that report of results to the client so they can go, okay, did my job done, you know, and and you're not actually making a difference. You're just Mm. writing the numbers. So somebody can say they did a good job Mm. when does anything change? Nah, nothing. Like I didn't feel like I was contributing to anything in any way, shape or form. And in the meantime, you know, Dirk was, and, and so at some point, I guess you and Dirk do get married, right? And I'm assuming then you, you're, you've moved from the Calgary to the Saskatchewan or Saskatoon, rather. Well, yeah. Saskatoon is, yeah. Uh, and so uh, in the meantime, Dirk has started. So you, you've got this degree now. You are, you know, you, you got into the field thinking you're going to make a difference. Turns out it's just like a desk job, but maybe out in the field a little bit. So I guess you're still moving around a bit, but I guess it, it sounds like it's still more of kind of a more traditional nine to five. Although to be mm-hmm. fair, it sounds like you got a job, so they did fulfill their promise, uh, but maybe it wasn't exactly what you expected. So in the meantime, it sounds like from Dirk was then pursuing uh, something different, right? So uh, it, in the immigration space. So how did that sort of, how did that happen for for Dirk? How did that come about? So we came back to Saskatoon, we moved to Saskatoon and Dirk studied business and logistics. That's what his degree is in. And so he thinks about things in a very systematic way. How can we do these things? And when we came back to Saskatoon in, you know, the mid 2000s, there wasn't really a lot of jobs in logistics for him. And he was just kind of looking for something and this job came up um, immigration processing for this company um, here in Saskatoon. And he's like, so you help people. He interviewed at the job and he's like, so basically you help people from other countries make Canada your home. And they're like, yeah, we make it easier for them so that they don't have to worry about fraud or something. And he's like, okay, this is really interesting. And he worked for that company for a little while. And then because he has that entrepreneur background, he's like, I know how we could make the company better. I know how we could earn more money. I know how we could help these people in a better way. And not all, you know, owners of a small business want to hear this criticism, right? Like it was coming from a well-meaning place, but his boss didn't like that at all. Like, you know, they're like, no, we just do what we tell you. He's like, right. no, but we could, we could do these amazing things. They're like, no, no, no. And so at this point, Dirk's kind of struggling. So I like, he loved immigration. He was kind of like realizing that he could genuinely help people 
And he has a very big heart. And if he can help somebody, he will help that person. And so he's like, we could help make a big difference. And his um, grandparents are immigrants. So his grandmother and grandfather came over from Germany right after World War II with nothing. And so that's always something they said to him, like, you've got to, you know, respect where you come from. And so he's like, okay, if I can help people like my grandparents come to Canada, I'm in. 100% I'm in. And so he's, you know, he did this and then we find out I am pregnant with our first child and this company comes to and says, okay, we want you to sign a non-compete clause for like two years. You can't, if you leave our company, you can't work in immigration for two years. He's like, no, he was unhappy with the job. They wouldn't take any help, constructive criticism. So I did what any, you know, very supportive partner does when they're pregnant and crazy. I said, start your own company. Just do it. You can make a better one. So start your own. And no pressure. You better make money quick because we have a baby on the way. (laughs) Right. And that's what he did. Like within, I want to say within a month of getting this decision, he was already applying for, you know, a business license in Saskatoon to operate. Wow. And so he was he received his uh, immigration consulting license while working at that business, right? Um, he actually he started the program while working at that business. He did the evening program. And so he started the company. Um, he wasn't actually offering immigration service. No. He was offering consulting to businesses on like, hey, this is what you can do. You can consider doing this. So he was not doing immigration work, business consulting, which is legal right. in Canada. You can offer businesses consulting services as long as it's not in the immigration space. Right. So he was offering them ways to do, you know, find good labor. He's like, did you ever consider recruiting workers outside of Canada? So mm-hmm. he kind of was, was doing this because he's like, I can't jeopardize working in the immigration space illegally when this is my goal in life. So he he found a way to make it work. And I think it was about a year after he started his own company, he got certified and was could legally do all the actual immigration paperwork required. Yeah, I mean, and that's such an entrepreneurial way of going about it, right? Of saying, okay, well, I can't do it yet. What can I do? How can I work around, you know, the reality that I that I have in front of me? So cool. So Dirk finally has his immigration license at this point. I mean, he's been doing some consulting. So I'm assuming, you know, even that's that's building connections, it's building expertise, things like that. You have your kid, right? You still have this job and you continue to have this job for uh, a period of time. At what point, because I want to start getting into this process or, or the thinking behind um, clearly, Dirk's business is is growing, right? And so how does that sort of turn into a discussion around technology? So the company is growing. And basically, we ran into more and more employers trying to do work. And eventually, Dirk hit capacity. So I can't help more people because I, one, don't have enough trained staff. Two, no matter how many more people I add, I'm never going to make more revenue than I'm already making because I have to, it takes, you know, maybe 45 to 50 hours to do this application. And that's if you're really good and really fast. And then, you know, average wages state this. So even if I had 10 more people, you know, Canadian employers are only willing to pay so much. And immigrants, Dirk 
never wanted to charge them a lot of money. He's like, it's not fair to make them pay. Like maybe in Canada, it's not that much money to a Canadian, but to, for example, a Mexican, a thousand Canadian to a Mexican is a lot of money. That's a big financial commitment. So he never wanted to make these people who want to make Canada home bear the brunt of the biggest costs. He's like, it's not fair. I can't just say, okay, I'm going to charge $500 an hour because I can, so I can have a really rich life and be a super rich person. And meanwhile, all these people are coming here and they're taking 10 years to pay off this, pay this off. Like it was just so cruel. So he's like, there's got to be a better way to do it. He's like, logistically speaking, he's like, if you can solve problems with supply chain management, why can't I solve problems? Take that and solve my immigration problem. And one of the things that uh, there's a big website that was really, really popular in the early 2000s. If you wanted to find a job in, you know, Japan, South Korea, China, Thailand, it was called Days ESL Cafe. It was kind of a forum and you go there to meet agents. He's like, I could do something similar. He's like, I could find a way to get people who need immigration services and find a way to help them meet me to offer immigration for them. And so he's like, also, he's like, if they're overseas and I'm here, mailing documents back and forth is so slow. Like certain things, yes, you have to mail like original signatures or birth certificates. He's like, but everything else, he's like, you could just go to a PC room and log into this website and you could just give me all the information if I knew the field, which of course you do because you have the form. So he's like, I think there's a way I could do this with a web app of some sort Mm -hmm. just to collect data from people or at least make it easy for them to find me. And so that's kind of how Immigrate was born. It was just this thought, how can I make it simpler and easier for everybody? For me as the person doing all the administrative processing and for the client to just give us and get the data to us in a helpful way. So it started off, that's that's really fun and really fun to hear because I love... I love that sort of the, the every big company starts off small. So it sounds like here, Immigrate, the, the crux of the idea was, all right, first and foremost, how do we collect this data in an easy, streamlined way so that it's organized for us as the firm taking it in? And it's also easier for the client to input. So I guess it sounds like in the beginning, uh, Immigrate was sort of like a, almost like a data collection for uh, like software, right? Like you, it wasn't. It wasn't tied yet to the application or any kind of forms or anything like that. It was just here, give us your data and put it into this, you know, whatever it was um, interface. Yeah, pretty much. It was pretty basic. Like, give me your first name, last name, family members, some basic personal information. And from there, we can hit the ground running. Because so we have quickly discovered, you know, once you work in the immigration space in Canada, you quickly discover there's two ways to go. You can hire a lawyer. And if you ask a lot of immigrants who've worked with lawyers, they often say they're too pricey and too white. Or you can work with an immigration consultant, which tends to be somebody you know, but they're shady. And so it was just like, okay, so... And then another thing is if the immigration consultant happens to be you know, also white, they're like, why aren't they just a lawyer then? So it was like these weird vibes that you get. And Dirk's like, I don't want people to get those vibes. And then sometimes we have lawyers 
that's it. No matter what you actually need as an immigrant, they're like, we're going to do express entry. Express entry works for 85% of people. We'll make you fit in that mold and we'll give you express entry and get you here eventually. Or they say, you know what? SINP, Saskatchewan Immigrant Nominee Program, will get you here that way. And they'll they'll have a very narrow range of services that they kind of force people into. And Dirk always took the opposite approach. He's like, okay, what do you want? What's your goal? What's your plan? And they're like, well, I want to come to Canada. He's like, of course, but how? And they're like, I, I don't know. He's like, do you have enough English to come? Uh, what parts of Canada do you want to go to? What's your ultimate goal here? Do you want to work here for a little bit? Do you want to live here? Do you want to get citizenship? Like, And so he would construct a plan. He's like, okay, so I have this basic information about you, your name, your country of citizenship, maybe where you're living. Because a lot of times people who, you know, want to come to Canada, they've moved around the globe a little bit more. And he would get some information. He's like, you know what? BC, the, you're a cook. BC, it has a robust tourist and hospitality industry. This might be the place for you to get a really good job. So we can find you a really good job in BC. And it's way easier to come to Canada if you have a job. So let's try and find an employer that might be a good fit for you. Or tell you or make this plan for you. And that's all it came down to is like helping people finding out what they want and then helping them get what they want rather than just saying, hey, we're immigration. You want immigration services. This plan, this stream. Like it's just such a rigid way to deal with people. I was when I was doing some research on on you and Dirk, um, I saw that Dirk had previously started almost um I think two companies or what seemed like they were almost like marketplaces, right? To match employers with employees so did that fit into here at all of like look let me give you my immigration advice is going to be based on a custom plan for you right Mm -hmm. um and if that custom plan has to do with an employment opportunity you know was it like here's this platform that we have or this kind of uh, matching program that we have with employers that are already on the plot like how did how did that come up because I know that you said that um, you know you're providing immigration services, but there is, if you're going to do employment-based immigration, there is some aspect there of almost like I don't know if you'd call it recruiting, um, but like at least matching. So how did that come into play with what I guess maybe Dirk was doing um, at the time? So because you know he started his own company and entrepreneurs in Saskatchewan, like we have so many. It's like the land of entrepreneurship here. It seems like they all stick together. They're all really willing to help you. So Dirk found a lot of the community started to find out Dirk's entrepreneur and they, he joined a mentorship program and he's talking to these other entrepreneurs and they're all complaining about labor shortages. Mm. I can't get so-and-so to work. I can't get so-and-so to work. And they're like, you're, and Dirk's like, did you know you can recruit foreign workers? And they're like, nah, we've done that before. It's just a mess. And he's like, but it doesn't have to be. Mm-hmm. And so he kind of took it from both sides. He's like, I know these people who want to come. I know employers who need to hire good quality talent. And so we started um, Sask Job Cafe. And he would post jobs that employers were, you know, he's like, I'll just, he's like, we'll just do some advertising. And in Canada, 
um, if you're an employer, you have to get approval from the government of Canada before you can hire foreign workers. Mm-hmm. And it's called a labor market impact assessment. And so he he specialized in getting this government approval. It's all immigration work. It has to be done by either a lawyer or an immigration consultant. And he's like, okay, you need these people. You genuinely can't find them. You've been trying for years to fill these positions. And he's like, okay. And then he would post the jobs. And because he had, you know, international connections, he was able to help find people who could fill the jobs, but not just anybody, people who actually had the skills to fill the jobs. So he would try and make sure that the employer was happy with the employee. So we would do like international recruiting, but only if the fit was good. He wouldn't say, hey, you five people, I will guarantee you a job in Canada, I'll find you one. We never did that. And we never said, hey, you employer, you need these these people. We'll always find you people, no matter if they're good or not. It was never about that. It's like, let's see what we can do to help you find somebody. Either I'll find them or, you know, organically by posting your job in a wide variety of places, they'll find you. And either way, you're happy if you have a good quality person with experience. So SAS Job Cafe started. And then, you know, we were using a small developer because, I'm not a software engineer, neither is Dirk, but we had a friend who was and he helped us out. And then that iteration of our software wasn't very good. And then we started SINP.com, which was the second one we kind of started. And it was more for assisting with employer recruiting internationally so that we could post the job, post all the requirements of the job and then have an intake form so people wanted to apply outside of Canada, they could find us real easily and figure it out. But because we use the acronym SINP, the Saskatchewan Immigrant Nominee Program did not like that. And that shut down and we had to close that website down and everything. We're like, hmm, where do we go now? And he was kind of stuck. And he's like, you know what, I'll do it again, but I'm going to get in contact with the government of Canada first and find out what I can and cannot do. Mm. what they will and will not let me do. So he's like, I'm not, he was never about trying to do anything shady or illegal. He's like, I want to do things legal. I want to be fully transparent about what we're doing. And when he discussed with ICCRC, which is the um, Immigration, Refugee and Citizenship Canada, what we were planning on doing, they said, okay, that's great. Like, go for it. Help people if you want to help people. We're in. And so we started version three, which is where we are today. Wow. So, and so today, so this is really a good time to talk about, all right, well, what does immigrate do on the tech side, right? Um, I'm curious to know, because it sounds like you kind of came at this from two angles. The one angle is, look, we can help bring some automation into the client intake process. We can capture people's information and maybe upload their documents, et cetera. On the other hand, you had this sort of almost parallel tech solution or, or, or web, uh, web-based solution of um, helping people get jobs in Canada. So mm-hmm. can you talk about uh, how does Immigrate work today? What can a user expect or sort of what's the, what's the pitch for the Immigrate software solution? Then we'll, you know, we'll kind of talk about how that then supports the uh, immigration work that your firm does. But just from the software side, how does it work? So immigration in Canada is like, you know, a very, especially pre-COVID, it was primarily paper-based 
applications. You download the uneditable PDF off the government website, you print it off, you fill it out, or if you have Adobe Pro and that some forms are editable, you type it all in by hand. You show the client, you redo it over and over again, and then you mail it in, or perhaps if you're really lucky, you can fax it in. And faxing in applications was still a thing right up until COVID hit at the beginning of 2020. And it was just so painstakingly slow and difficult. And there's programs like Officio that, you know, it'll generate the PDFs for you. But that was it. It didn't help you really do anything else. So there was still, and a lot of the clients, they want to know where their data is at all times. They want to be able to see it all times, have access to it at all times. So especially, you know, in immigration where somebody is in India and then we're here in Canada, eight and a half hour time difference. Or if they're in China, it's like 15 hours. Like it's so hard to get somebody on the phone to chat with them and type in all that information at the same time. So we develop, we're like, okay, we'll just, have a portal for the client so they can log in whenever they want, wherever they are in the world and just fill in their info and they can see all the info that's required. And then it's just easy for the staff to check. And it's just, you know, an easier way to manage the data originally. But then of course you got to get the data into the PDF forms. You got to figure out how to submit it. So we used, you know, automation to do a lot of that tedious tasks that are, you know, people just sit there doing over and over and over again. And in immigration in Canada, you don't usually just need one application, you need many. So you got to get the work permit, the work permit extension, perhaps a visitor visa to keep your, to maintain status while you're in processing, or you got to get that permanent residence, your spousal open work permit for your, you know, your spouse. And then, and the data is the same, the same, the same, the same. And you, you know, you got to enter it in every form. So now we have one entry. You enter the data one time and it transfers from one application to the next, to the next, which makes it just, you know, it's really simple. Makes it easy for them. They're like, all right, you know, all that information you filled out six months ago, you want to check it, make sure it's still good and we'll submit your extension. So and then they always know what they have online. We always know what they have online. And then it's just easy, quick. So, so the way that it works would be that first somebody comes in to work with Immigrate and they do sort of almost maybe a consultation or something to, to figure out what their preferred path is. And then once mm -hmm. there's a plan of action and they agree to it, that's when the technology kicks in and they sort of, they can start inputting their information. And then you have that information, you do the back and forth to make sure everything's okay. And then once it's done, um, can you submit, because I, my understanding is that in Canada, there's at least there are at least some forms that you can, or some applications you could submit all, online, but then you're saying it sounds like there's also some paper-based. Is it still a mix of the two? Because in the U.S., it's very paper-heavy, and I feel like in Canada, there's a lot of technology on the government side. So, like, yeah, how, how is that? It's kind of both. Yeah. So the pandemic really forced the government of Canada to get their gear in order and really start automating a lot of stuff. So right before the pandemic hit, um, they started doing a lot of web apps. And then, of course, when it hits, all their staff go home and they're like, how, what do we do now? So now they've allowed a lot of online submissions, but you still got to create that PDF. 
right? Whether it's being scanned in, it's still kind of a, a, there are some like OINP, which is the Ontario program, Saskatchewan, they have online portals, BC, where you can just use their web app to put the information in and submit it. But sometimes they'll still require some documents. So it's gotten better, Mm. but you know, you can't submit, we can't take the information directly from our system and submit it directly to the government. They, they don't want open APIs or anything like that. They're like, nah, our system is closed hundred percent. You can only submit it through this online form. Hmm. Or if you're an RCIC, you can say, Hey, I'm opening up a new file for client and I will submit for the client. Yeah. It's the same thing in the U S unfortunately, in the sense that most of the immigration related government sites, um, not open to APIs, which is frustrating. Mm-hmm. It would be really nice to be able to, you know, build really cool tech and connect it to, you know, government portals and things like that. But unfortunately, that's just not the case, or at least not yet. I mean, we, we have to get there eventually. Um, I think so. There's got to be, you know, a safe, secure way to transfer yeah. data. I mean, is, is, is it really, I know they talk about safety and data privacy, but is it really that much safer to do it in a web browser? Over, an or on, unsec- or over free Wi-Fi. Or on like, paper. Or on paper, right? That you mail. Like, I cannot count how many times, you know, we've had clients come to us and say, hey, my I got the notification that my passport needed to be sent to the government. So they mail their passport, you know, through Express Post or Pure Later or some But then the government of Canada would ship it back to you in a regular mail. And sometimes it gets lost. So we actually had a couple of clients who their passport got lost in the mail. Wow. And then one one of our clients had to go back to their home country to get a new passport because they they couldn't get it issued to them in Canada. They're like, not sorry, we can't issue another passport if you're not home. And so they had to get all these special permissions to fly home without the passport that they lost, that the government of Canada lost. That's kind of unbelievable, actually. Um, But it happens. Like, that's why the mailing stuff was so awful. It's like, mail us your original birth certificate and hope we remember to mail it back to you. Yeah. And and, and to your point, that's where where technology um, comes in uh, because digital is just, it's just the way to go. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what are your kind of, what are the plans for Immigrate? you know, moving forward. I mean, so right now it sounds like you have, uh, you know, sort of document upload and document automation and application uh, and and some of the things you can submit um, through the application or does it always have to go and you print it out and you send it out via mail, uh, send it to the government via mail? Uh, A lot of the stuff is now, you know, online web forms. The government of Canada is really trying to move forward to more online web forms. They do have some PDFs where they'll validate the PDF barcodes will be generated and then they're sent to the government. But it's it's increasingly on, um, moving online, which is great for us because you know, paper is just, it's a nightmare dealing with, you know, spousal sponsorship applications that are three inches thick because of all the paper you have to print off. Um, but now it's mostly web and we have a lot of bots that do our work for us. Nice. So um it just makes it easier so can you talk a little bit about sort of what is immigrate from a technology perspective like yeah so 
basically we just make the lives easier, especially employers, because Canada is since, I mean, it's even though COVID is still happening, we have a massive labor shortage. Like you could be a lot of people in trades, everything. They're begging for workers. They can't find anybody to do a job. And the only way they can find workers is to bring them in, in Canada. Like we have one client who right at the height of COVID in 2020 in June brought over 60 workers just to work in BC. And we got permission from the government to quarantine them and everything, but we make it easy. So the employer comes to us. They're like, this is my job. I need these candidates. I need this. These are my requirements. And we really offer everything in one place. So there's no need to log into 10 different sites to do all your recruiting. There's no need to log into 10 different sites to enter your information. There's no need to go here, go to Kijiji, go to Craigslist to post everything. You give us your ad, you put you put it in our site, and then we take care of everything else. So for the clients, it takes you know maybe an 80-hour process for an employer who would do this themselves. And now they're doing it in like three they're like, okay, all I do is spend a couple of hours with you to input my data, screen some workers, and then that's it. Like, it's done. We just make it, it's really, everything is in one place, which is nice. We help you find workers. We do all the worker applications for our employers. And we help people find jobs too. So it's like a really a full suite of services all in one little area. You don't even have to think about you know, going to a, get your HR stuff, get your immigration stuff, get this. We kind of smashed it all into one. Mm. So it's basically a, a, a job marketplace. And then once somebody gets hired from there, who's a foreign national, uh, then the immigration process kicks off. Same platform. You help them get that done. And then boom, the applications are submitted and then you support them through that immigration process. And we get... S- We get so many people who are like, I've been spending five years trying to find a job in Canada, find something, you know, for example, we found a, uh, we helped a chef. She had been looking for, she's a pastry chef, right? And she wants, she'd been working in Dubai for a while. And then she'd been working in Mexico, but pastry chef is such a very specific type of chef. And we had a client who was looking for, for a variety of different types of chefs said here's a pastry chef would you be perhaps interested in a pastry chef and he's like he's like i don't even ask for paste i would never think to ask for that because i know i would never get it in saskatoon like Mm -hmm. you don't you can't find that here unless you know the person happened to train here for whatever reason and so she she said she's like i've been trying to find a good job in canada one that would pay me well but she didn't want to be in toronto or vancouver because you know Toronto, the cost of living is insane. And Vancouver, it's it's pretty much similar. But Saskatoon, it's pretty cheap. And she's like, I had no options other than going to the big cities. Hmm. She's like, I wasn't really ready to commit. But here, you know, we really help people find the right job for them. We're not just like pushing them. Okay, you know, you're a chef. Maybe you can learn how to be a pastry chef. Or you're this. Maybe you can learn how to do this. We're like, okay, really, what are you? We have employers. So some people, some people come to us and they're just, they're just looking for a job or mostly that's how people find us. They're looking for work. And they're like, I just, 
but I don't fit in any jobs that you have. Could you kind of guide me? And so then we give them advice on how to make a plan for immigration that would work for them because we don't want to force people to take a, a job in, you know, as a fast food chef, as a fast food counter person, if they're a chef, right? Like sure. There's some crossover, but it, they're ultimately not going to be happy and they'll leave that employer in, you know, six months. And then both people are unhappy. So we want to truly make people happy, find the workers, help Canadian employers find staff, so they can serve their clients in a really good way. So, uh, and that's a really great example of like maybe a small business or a hospitality business. Um, I guess it could be a large, maybe a hotel chain or something like that. Mm-hmm. A question here with regards to corporates, um, does Immigrate have an API that can maybe connect with HR platforms like Workday or PeopleSoft? And I imagine for companies that are based out of Canada that have, um, you know, that hire foreign nationals and, you know, utilize of course an HR software, um, is there either now or maybe in the future, or do you have any thoughts about an API that can connect with some of these uh, really popular HR platforms? We have played around with with the idea of it. We don't currently have an API that can hook up with platforms like that, but it is definitely something that we have been thinking of because most of our our HR stuff is just you know custom made what we have but ultimately what we we have kind of built our software to be able to do api integrations either they you know integrate with us or we integrate with them so it is definitely something that we're we're very open to and looking to do in the future we don't quite do that yet but it is something we definitely want to move into because then clients you know we do work with a lot of very large companies in Canada that have restaurants all across Canada, many, many locations. They're like, but I already have an HR software that I work with. And so we're like, okay. And so we want to try and figure out a way that we can make an open API that other softwares can use of ours so they can connect together. It is something that we are, we want to figure out the best way to do, but currently we don't have it, unfortunately. Got it. Now, thank you. And thank you, Elena, for, for the question. So maybe that, that's a great way for me to kind of transition to the question of if you know, I mean, I know the feeling you're a startup and it feels like there's a lot happening. There's probably a lot on the roadmap, but what do you see for the future? What do you and Dirk and the team see for the future of Immigrate? Maybe whether it's a year down the road or three or five years down the road, like what are you building towards right now? Originally, we basically, our goal is to be the one-stop immigration shop in Canada, somewhere you go that you know you're going to get really good expert transparent help from. And most of our clients are Canadian businesses who are just, they need help Mm -hmm. and they don't know where to go and they don't know how to do it on their own. So we offer help for them, but we want to make sure that it's not, we're not alienating any group that we help. We don't want people to think, oh, they only help businesses. They don't care about immigrants because we care more about, we care just as much about um, Jose who came from Mexico to work with one of our biggest clients that maybe we work with year over year, but we still care just as much about him as we do them. I mean, we want to, we just want to be, if you, we want people to think immigrate, we want them to think transparency, legitimacy, good, solid help, whether we help you, you know, by just, You've purchased a 30-minute consultation from us and you just learned how to fill out that work permit on your own. 
or whether you filled it out and we just, you know, you spend a hundred bucks or $165 with us to learn how to submit it on your own. Yes, we will, we will dedicate whatever you need to help you. We can do things with you. We can do things for you, or we can simply just offer you the advice you need. And the same goes for Canadian employers. Like most of the employers and most of the people we work with, they're like, I just, I don't want to do it on my own. But if they do want to do it on their own, we'll help you. We'll, you know, for, for whatever fee, we're not here to make you spend five or $600, but for $165, a lot of times, like just a little bit of money, um, we can, we can just get you to do it on your own. And then at least, you know, you're getting legitimate advice from a real consultant who specialized in, in that area, because sometimes, you know, that person in India, they're in a little fishing village and they heard about this job and they want to come to Canada, but they don't want to, they, they can't pay that money. So they're going to go to a shady guy who says, I'll do it for 200. And then they'll get some, who just takes their money and doesn't help them mm-hmm. and we see this a lot like so many people come to us and like i paid ten thousand dollars to get pr and all i have is a work permit for one year so we're like okay you want advice well here's some advice in canada you can't really the way the law works you have to be an rcic to give advice you can't just give free immigration advice it's you got to have that immigration behind you or you have to be the government to give it so right. we're like meet with one of our professionals and we'll just tell you what you need if that's all you want from us. Right. We don't offer, like a lot of places in Canada will offer free consultations, but then they high pressure sell you in those consultations. Like, okay, you should pay the $3,000 to me and I'll give you express entry. And it's just a hard sell. They don't actually help you. Right. And we just want to help people. Like I was at a very dark place in my life one time where I was stuck. And I had nobody to help me and I didn't know what to do. And like, it was actually when I was in China, I got stuck in China and I couldn't figure out how or anything what to do. And I just met a couple of people who were just willing to say, did you know if you could go here, they could help you. And I just did a couple of little things with a couple of little bit of help from some people. They, they saved me so much time. And if we can help people avoid these shady guys that are saying, I got you for, for $3,000, I guarantee you a job in Canada. Well, you can't guarantee somebody a job for $3,000. Like no, nothing will. But for Hunter, for a little bit of money, we can say, come to us. We're not shady. We'll show you the job sites. We'll give you the links to the stuff. We'll just help you. We'll just, 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 we'll do our best. Like, you know, we can't do it for free because we need a place to live too. But like, we'll, we'll help you for very little and give you what you need. Like, it's, it's devastating sometimes to hear what these people have gone through and how they've been cheated. Yeah, absolutely. And especially when they, it's hard for someone to navigate, you know, they don't know the culture, they don't know the language, or they, they might not understand the process and they rely on people understandably so but then sometimes those people don't have their best intentions in mind um cool and you know it's, it's also just great to hear and i think it's it's clear that part of what drives you and and the business is this concept of we've been here we understand what it's like to need genuine 
honest help, professional help. And uh, we, you know, that's what we offer. And, and not only do we offer it, but we offer it with technology on the back end to help it be maybe more affordable and or faster and or more efficient, which at the end of the day is the whole beauty behind technology, marrying technology yeah. with immigration. Um, and I like to tell people like, I like technology because I'm lazy. So <laughs> I want to be able to figure out how to do something in the shortest amount of time possible so I can sit on my butt and do nothing, right? And nobody wants to spend 200 hours to figure out how to fill out a work permit. I mean, it's like a couple of forms generally. And as long as you have, you know, your um, passport, birth certificates, language certificate or whatever you need, you can do it pretty quick on your own. So like... It's just, it's not that tough, but where we can offer advice and offer help, whether it's a little bit or a lot, like we're here, man. Like that's, we just want to genuinely help people make, make their lives that much better. Like we got, um, we helped, um, this lady, she had, you know, been refused a work permit in Canada, had some admissibility issues and we worked our butts off. I, I can't say that I worked my butt off, but Dirk and the team worked their butts off and they helped her get here. And she's like, I've been trying to get to Canada for a while and I'm here. And she's like, you guys have made my life. And she sent us photos and how happy she is. And just at the end of the day, knowing that, you know, that little bit of work that we put in made a huge change in her life. It was just like, it was the, the best. And we had another lady who came from China. She bought us the most beautiful box of truffles and we get artwork from people and just green tea from people. We helped um, a gentleman from Mongolia and he gave us this beautiful book uh, with Mongolian artwork. Like, you know, it's at the end of the day, seeing the people come here and smiling, it's just like, Oh, I helped you a little bit. Like I did a little bit to make this world a, a little bit of a better place. Like, so when I was young, I was like, I'm going to change the world. Like, maybe I'm not, but I'm changing it for a couple people now. Like, I feel like I'm genuinely contributing to making more smiles across the world. And you know what? If you can change one person, you do change the world in, any, in, in, in that small way. I want to ask you, as we're wrapping up here, I want to ask you, you know, with the with the border closure um, or the prior border closures now, the U.S.-Canada border is starting to open up a little bit. And then, of course, just the world more generally is starting to open up a little bit more with sort of vaccination rates being higher and things like that. Um, what are you seeing for the future of, I guess, Canadian immigration, but specifically, of course, for immigrate? I mean, do you see growth on your horizon? Do you on the on the on the consult on the immigration consulting side? Do you see more growth on the tech side? Like, what's in the future? What's in store? I mean the pandemic had been has been really hard on a lot of companies. And for a little while, we scaled way back, we shrunk a lot, um, because we wanted to, to see our focus. And we kind of pivoted from an all over marketplace, we can help anybody anytime to kind of focusing more on helping employers. But we in the last year, we've grown like 250%. Wow. Um, we're just, you know, we're, we can't, we're scaling up like crazy. We've just been expanding and expanding um, more and more now with COVID restrictions, immigration programs, opening and closing at the snap of an eye. People are coming to us and saying, can you just 
I don't know how to do it on my own anymore. It's not, it's, it doesn't seem as easy. So more and more people are coming to us because they just want really good advice. And we have a lot of really brilliant people on our team. We're very lucky. Like our team, like Canada is very, very diverse and made up of a lot of immigrants as well. So, you know, we're just growing and growing our every, like it, the future is very bright for us. Great. That's super exciting. Congratulations. That's really wonderful. Thank and hopefully, you. you know, as because there's so many restrictions and things constantly change in the immigration space. I mean, I say this to a lot of different folks in the industry and hopefully, um, you know, I'm seeing this too. Uh, there's more of a need for professionals to give advice. You can't just go on and apply for a visa on the internet without asking somebody because things are changing so frequently. And, you know, there's vaccination requirements, yes or no. Where can you travel for how long? Do you have to quarantine? Do you not have to quarantine? There's a lot to know nowadays. Um, and it's really tricky in Canada because certain rules don't apply if you are in certain industries, right? Like, are you an industry that relies heavily on short-term seasonal workers for the growing period? You know, maybe you get an exemption from certain things because you are this. Or, you know, because you're coming to Canada to work and you are double vaccinated, maybe you don't have to quarantine at all anymore. Or like, it, it's just so different for different industries. And then each province in Canada kind of gets to jive with their own rules also. The federal government says this is the base. And then each province kind of gets to adjust and make their own kind of rules. So like in Saskatchewan, you know, our restrictions around COVID are very lax compared to Quebec, which is extremely restrictive. And, you know, life is kind of carrying on as usual for us here. You just have to make sure you have your proof of vaccination if you want to, you know, do a lot of things. And then other places like BC, they're really, really careful. You know, there's still restrictions on gathering sizes, youth sports, all these other things. We're here. It's like, no, man, you're vaxxed, you're good kind of thing. So it's each province is so wildly different. So it is kind of nice to have somebody to help you navigate that. Because I, I actually had to talk to people in our team. It's like, I want to go visit my mother over Thanksgiving, which is for here, for us in Canada, it's Thanksgiving weekend this weekend. And, but she lives in another province. So is it okay to travel there? Yay or nay? Like, I don't even know. Right. <laughs> had to ask, had to, had to make sure I'm following the rules even. So. Well, it's great that you know that you got the people to ask right there in the back pocket. Yeah. Um, I'm lucky. So awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And, and really interesting to hear your perspective on it. Um, just as a side note, I really think it's fascinating that uh, Canadian provinces have some power over immigration and the U.S. It's all federal. There's states typically don't have much uh, that they can do with regards to immigration. So uh, it would be, you know, like the way you have provincial nominee programs and things like that. Like, I wish the U.S. would benefit if we had some regional things where if you're in the Midwest, maybe you can have a special visa for a certain type of work or things like that. But that's another policy discussion that may we may have another time. I usually, I, I try to end these uh, conversations with maybe something interesting or like a fun or funny story. 
obviously you traveled for the first, well, substantially, I don't know if you left the country before that, but you left and, you know, you went to teach in, you land in Hong Kong, you went to teach in mainland China. Do you have any, like, what's your craziest or, you know, kind of the memory where you get around with your friends and you're you know, like, let me tell you, X happened. Do you have that story from your travels there in China? I, I do. I have a really fun one. So while I was working in China, um, the school I worked for wanted to take advantage of the fact that, you know, I am of a very desirable point of view, you know, young white girl at the time. They're like, let's speak on English on how you can improve English. So as, you know, a very young 18 year old girl, I did what most people do. I went to the internet paraphrased a whole bunch of things about how China can improve English. And I did this presentation and they said it would be small. In Canada, small is like 15 people. In China, small is like thousands of people. So I end up at this university, there's cameras on me. It's this massive auditorium full of people. And I here I am pretending that I know about how to improve English on a global scale, reading this little performance. And then at the end, all these students are like, teacher, teacher, your teacher is like, kind of, they're like, and then somebody yells out from the back of the crowd, Drew Barrymore. I was like, what? Drew Barrymore. And they're like, it's Drew Barrymore. So all these people come rushing towards me thinking I'm Drew Barrymore. And I was like, you know what? I'm just, I signed a whole bunch of autographs pretending I was Drew Barrymore, wow. took pictures did all I I thought this I was like I'm not and I couldn't convince them that I wasn't so you know I was like all right sure I'm Drew Barrymore let's go with it and so there's a wide group of Chinese people who thought they met Drew Barrymore but it was just me Uh, I wish you could see those pictures that's hilarious (laughs) yes I wish I could too that what a feeling of like, oh, I'm going to go do a presentation in front of 10 people and you step out onto this into a massive auditorium with thousands in the crowd. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, all right, well, I'm a celebrity now. <laughs> and also what a way to get into public speaking, huh? Yes. I had, I had never done a speech before. So it was my first speech and my first taste at fame. Also my last right. taste at fame. Too, but... <laughs> and the last first and last. <laughs> Oh man, that's awesome. Well, Kelly, thank you so much. This was such a fun and interesting conversation. Really cool to hear what you guys are building with Immigrate and just the passion behind, you know, the desire to help people and do it in a way that also, of course, brings technology into the fold. So I wish you the best of of luck because obviously there's a lot more moving forward with the company and um, and Dirk as well. And thank you so much for, for being here and sharing your story. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It was it was a real pleasure. Thank you so much, Roman. Awesome. 